Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Like the Lord described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. On the other hand, the publican was meek because he saw that he was superior to no other person. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's the key difference that the Lord was calling out between the Pharisee and the publican. It's this issue of meekness, and that's why he said in Luke 18, 14, Luke 18, 14, the person who exalts himself is going to be put down. But the person who humbles himself is going to be exalted. And these words, himself, Himself, it's showing us that this, this issue of meekness or seeing yourself as lowly at heart, it's an issue of choice. It's an issue of choice. We choose. And this is the choice of meekness. Some people, and you can look at some people and say, well, you know, that person, his temperament, he's not naturally, he's less assertive. He's more retiring. His tempering is more retiring. He's more of a retreating type person. He talks in low tones. I can't even hear him. So you say, well, he's naturally meek. No, that's not meekness. That's not meekness. That person may not just like the type A personality. That person may still be, he may still have this spirit of, well, I don't like him. I'm better. But so the command to be humble. The command to be meekness is why it's so important for us because, because God makes this statement. He says that publican humbled himself, and then he said, for example, Moses said to Pharaoh in Exodus 10.3, Moses and Aaron, Exodus 10.3, Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh, and he says, how long will thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go. They may serve me. And then God, speaking about one of the kings in Israel, said, Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me. And then the one we just talked about there in Luke 18, Luke 18, 14, where he said that the publican humbled himself. And that's why when it all comes down to it, we are commanded in 1 Peter 5, 6, 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So meekness is a choice. And that's what the Lord Jesus meant when he was saying lowly of heart. In other words, he chose to be lowly of heart. So when he says, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek, that means he's calling us to be meek. And then he says, learn of me, for I am meek. It means that we look at his life. Now, we've already seen that meekness means to be lowly of heart, not to see ourselves as superior to other men. And we see this supremely, this really was an event in the life of the Lord that just so emphasized how the Lord saw himself, how he perceived himself. 
when it says in John 13, 4, John 13, 4, he riseth from supper, this is the Lord, he laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, after he poureth water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, this was a really shocking event that happened. I mean, here's the one that the disciples realized, oh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Almighty God. You're the Creator. You're the King of the universe. And he's humbling himself to the point of being the lowest servant in the house to wash feet. And they're all in shock when they're seeing this. And then he goes on and says in John 13, 12, John 13, 12, after he had washed their feet and taken his garments, was set down. He said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Now, some churches are based on this. They wash feet. Okay, that's fine. But he's going to go on to say, you know, he's not going to say this is going to be an ordinance for you, but he's going to explain. He says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent greater than that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. So he says this, he finishes up this, he gives them the principle, he explains why he did it, and then he says, if you do them, you're going to be really happy, you know, as in blessed happy are the meek. He says you'll be happy if you do them. He's saying if you humble yourself and become meek, you're going to be happy. Now here, he's revealing the secret to us of happiness because it's the same as he said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, when he said, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find, you shall find rest unto your souls. You shall discover it. You shall be happy. Because to be meek is to find rest for the souls. To not be meek is to have restlessness in the souls. It's the kind of restlessness that's described in Isaiah 57.20, Isaiah 57.20, where it describes the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace, saith my God to the wicked. So how does that work? How does a meek person find rest to their souls? Well, a meek person finds rest to his soul because the meek person is just strongly enduring, fighting against the urge to retaliate. There's no retaliation that you can see in the life of the Lord Jesus. He's being oppressed. He's being afflicted. He's being led to a torturous death of crucifixion. And as he's being led, the comment is in Isaiah 53, 7, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. So the characteristic, which is repeated twice in that verse about him, is that he opens not his mouth when he's suffering. He's suffering, and he doesn't open his mouth. He's suffering, and he doesn't open his mouth. He's in pain. He doesn't open his mouth. It reminds me of the time when I visited maternity ward in the city where Scandabaj is located in Ethiopia, in Budajira, in the general hospital. And they brought me in there, and there was these women in the bed, and they said, these women are all in labor. There were many women in this room there, and they were in their beds. They were in labor. They were in childbirth. You could have heard a pin drop in there. It was so remarkable. None of those women made a peep. And then it was explained to me that 
Ethiopian women do not cry out and they do not make any sound when they're giving birth. It's just part of the culture. To the extent where some women died in those beds giving birth and never made a sound. Because the Lord was meek, he had no feeling of retaliation. He resisted the urge to retaliate and he didn't open his mouth. This is what it described to him in 1 Peter 2.23. 1 Peter 2.23. The Lord, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. There's no rest. There's no happiness to the person who yields to the urge to retaliate, to get even. That's why it says in Titus 3.2, Titus 3.2, speak evil of no man to be no brawlers, but gentle, be showing all meekness unto all men. Now, it's really interesting in that verse in Titus 3.2 when it, it links gentle showing all meekness. It links gentle with meekness. The link between gentle and meekness is in the Lord when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.1, 2 Corinthians 10.1, I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, you know, this link between meekness and gentleness this is seen in an English word that's really two words that are put together, and we kind of lost the meaning of it. But the English word is gentleman. You know, we think, oh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, that just means people, right? No, but there's a reason why those two words were linked together, gentleman, because it means a gentleman, means a meek man. And so using the word gentle in the place of meekness, the verse would come out like this in Matthew 5, 5, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So the meek person is gentle, therefore he has peace, he has rest in his souls, Because, for one thing, when it comes to his possessions, he takes his lead from the richest man who ever lived, King Solomon, who said in 1 Chronicles 29.14, 1 Chronicles 29.14, he says, Who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. In other words, he didn't say, I got everything because the reward of my hard work. That's why I got. No, no. He says, uh, they came from you. So meekness sees possessions as a gift from God. And this is what made Job, a rich man, a very meek man. Because he said in Job 121, Job 121, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's a statement of a meek man regarding his possessions. Now, a meek man, when he is confronted by his enemies, as we mentioned here, he doesn't want to retaliate. He has no thought of retaliation. He yields to God. He yields to God, as it says in Romans 12, 19. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So meekness... It's not like being a mouse. It's not like a cowardly weakness to allow yourself to be beat into a pulp and not protest. Meekness requires strength, a lot of strength. Being gentle in the face of being abused requires great strength. What kind of strength does it require? The strength to endure, to endure, the strength to endure. This is how the Lord Jesus is brought up to us in Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2, where it says... Looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, set down to the right hand of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. What we're told here to do is look to Jesus and look to him in his suffering and see him there in the strength of meekness, the strength of meekness. The strength of meekness was to endure the cross. The strength of meekness was to endure contradiction, such contradiction of sinners against himself. Meekness requires strength to hold back anger, to hold back retaliation. It requires strength to endure. That's why it says in 1 Peter 4, 19, 1 Peter 4, 19, wherefore let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing. Meekness requires strength to commit the soul. When it says that let him that suffer according to the will of God, meekness requires strength to see that my suffering is the will of God. On the low position there when you're really under it. How about the high position? What does meekness do in the high position? When a person is put into a high position in life, the meek man has peace and rest because he resists becoming puffed up, becoming proud. When the Lord Jesus was exalted to this point, where, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday called Palm Sunday, a great day when the great king is brought in in his formal introduction to the great city of the king, Jerusalem. And the question is, here he's coming in. What does he choose? A white horse to ride on? A great chariot of gold? Well, what he chooses is actually stated for us in Matthew 21.5. Matthew 21.5. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh unto thee, meek, sitting upon an ass, a colt, the foal of an ass. A donkey? He chooses a donkey. That's the animal he chooses to make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on. A donkey. And not even a full-grown donkey. A juvenile donkey. Even worse. Are you kidding me? And this is the great prophecy that God told Israel to look for in Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. Where it says, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He's just in having salvation lowly, riding upon an ass and upon the colt of an ass. Thy king cometh unto thee, he is lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Israel's great king comes as Matthew eleven twenty nine. I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, the Lord Jesus was not the only great leader that was meek. Moses, who delivered Israel out of Egypt, gave Israel the law, said about him in Numbers 12.3, Numbers 12.3, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. And God loved this so much about Moses. God loved Moses so much. He was the meekest man on all the earth that, God, that it says there in Exodus 33.11, Exodus 33.11, the Lord spake to Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. God was a friend of Moses. It was a friend of Moses. So this lowliness of heart, especially emphasized where the Lord washed the disciples' feet, when a man is elevated in life, meekness protects him from strife. Because it says in Proverbs 13.10, Proverbs 13.10, only by pride 
cometh contention. You've heard the phrase, it takes two to dance, it takes two to tango, it takes two to fight. Well, only by pride cometh contention because if one person backs down, there's nothing for this person to fight against. And this strife from pride, it can be seen in a discussion that the disciples had with each other. When it says in Luke twenty two twenty four, Luke twenty two forty four, there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? So they were arguing. The disciples were arguing because they were trying to decide which one was the greatest. I mean, they're trying to decide which one of the disciples is going to get the Ichiban Award for being the greatest, right? That's what they're doing. They're arguing. Now, there would have been no arguing. There would have been no strife if they were trying to decide who's going to be the lowest of them. See? Meekness protects us from arguing. When in hard times, when in hard times, the meek man has peace. He's got rest in his soul because he's content with the situation. He's like the Ethiopian women in labor. It means that a meek man is not arguing with God. Why am I suffering? The meek man is not saying, why me? The meek man, on the other hand, he's saying, well, I'm glad it's not him. The meek man would rather be alone in his misery than to want others. The meek man will never say misery loves company. He's not going to say that. Now, now the Lord goes on. He says, blessed are the meek. That's fine. We've covered that. And then he goes on. He says, they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. Now, you might say, inherit the earth? Well, I don't know if I'm interested in inheriting the earth. Depends on what part of the earth it is. If it's Death Valley, I'm not so interested in inheriting the earth, you know, but... But if we're talking about inheriting Maui, now I'm interested. I'm interested of Maui. That's a different story, you know. So what does he mean, inherit the earth? Well, he says, blessed are the meek in verse 5. They shall inherit the earth. Here's what's really important to see the New Testament in the context of the Old Testament. Here's what's really important to go back to the Old Testament to see what the Lord meant when he said, inherit the earth. From the beginning, when God called Abraham, God built in Abraham this expectation. You know, keep in mind, God is teaching his people like they're children, right? So the terms and the analogies and the symbols that are used in teaching like children are very simple. You know the Hebrew word for heaven? You know what it is? Heaven? You know what it is in Hebrew? Hashemayim. Hashemayim. What does that mean? Haz, the Shemayim. So what is Shemayim? Shemayim is two words. Mayim is water. And Shah is over there. So <laughs> heaven is called where there's water over there, all right? So what are you talking about? When you look up in the sky and you see the rain clouds coming and water comes down, you say, oh, yeah, that's water up there. It came down. That must be water up there. That's a very, very childlike explanation for what heaven is. He said, Hashemayim. He said, that's where water's coming down from. So God uses these very simple terms that children can understand. Very simple terms to describe things. And so he builds within Abraham through a very simple term. He builds, he says to Abraham in Genesis 15, 7, Genesis 15, 7, he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. This land to inherit it. And Moses then is speaking now to the children of Israel. And he says in Exodus 32, 13, Exodus 32, 13, being to God, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and, then, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. They shall inherit it forever. So Israel was told that this land is the forever land. And then there's a qualification on this land. It says in Deuteronomy 16.20, Deuteronomy 16.20, that which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live 
and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And then Isaiah, in Isaiah 60, verse 21, Isaiah 60, verse 21, about this idea of inheriting this forever land, he says in Isaiah 60, verse 21, thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. But he says that the people who are going to inherit the land are righteous, but this is a problem because Isaiah also says in Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah 64, 6, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So how could the people be all righteous if all their righteousnesses are as filthy rags? Isaiah goes on and explains in Isaiah 54, 17, Isaiah 54, 17, when he says, their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So the people are righteous, not from their own righteousness, but because of God's righteousness that he gives them, as it says in Jeremiah, the Lord our righteousness. So the people that inherit this forever land are the people whose righteousness is the Lord's righteousness and not their own. So when the Lord refers to them inheriting this forever land, he's referring to heaven. And Canaan is just a symbol of it. Which means that when the Lord says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he's following the same line when he says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's talking about heaven. He's really saying, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit, they shall go to heaven. And this is why it's important to be meek in verses 3 and 5, which is really following the same idea. Really, verses 3 and 5, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. It's like a staircase. It's not a staircase going up, it's a staircase going down. And you keep on going down lower and lower. You start at the top floor, and you go down, and you take a step down to verse 3, you're on the step of being poor in spirit. And then you take another step down, and you're on the step of mourning over sin. And then you take another step down in verse 5, and you're meek. That's a staircase of conversion. Staircase of conversion that brings a person down to the level of becoming like a little child. A little child. I mean, it's important to go down those stairs. The staircase ends in becoming like a little child, which is right in keeping with what the Lord says in Matthew 18.3. Matthew 18.3. He said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What? You say, what you read? I say, what? I got to be converted from being like an adult to becoming like a little child to go to heaven? Yes, that's what he's saying. Because little children do not see themselves as independent from their parents. Little children are totally dependent, and they know it, on their parents for everything. And being dependent on parents for everything is why little children are not proud. And to go to heaven, we need the spirit of pride to be broken, to be abandoned. Little children don't see themselves as superior to others. That's why little children are meek. Little children are lowly in heart. That's why unless a person is converted from being high in heart to become like a little child, low in heart, he can't get in. He's not going into heaven. Because blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so that's our goal in life, is to become meek. Our goal is what it says in Zephaniah 2.3. Zephaniah 2.3 says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Seek meekness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for the Lord Jesus and letting us see how 
he was meek and lowly in heart. Help us to be like him in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at TomCantor at FriendshipWithGod.org, Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 